What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. Pick 6 Podcast. Recorded this on a Monday, which means that I get to wish myself a happy birthday in the future. Because it's my birthday. You're listening to this on my birthday, June 26, 2018. I'm old as hell. Joining me to celebrate my birthday, but joining me a day in advance. You can still wish me happy birthday, Brian McFadden. How you doing? I'm doing good, Will, and please accept my apology. I come bearing no gifts. You know what? That's that. That's okay. Neither does anyone in my family. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, again, like the the problem with recording a podcast the day before is that you can get caught up in the. We'll, we'll try and avoid all of that, and we don't think there'll be any news that'll break on Monday. If we do, you know, we'll, we'll go back and record an intro. But instead, we're going to talk about, and, and I think we're going to lock down. Brian's going to be joining us every Tuesday moving forward. Very excited about that. You can follow him on Twitter at bmac underscore sports talk you should be watching him on cbs sports hq where he does terrific work and all of our wonderful cbs sports platforms um so we're going to talk about uh the james winston situation continue to expand on that i mean the reality brian is that it you know this is the off season this is the dead period between you know between before training camp starts between otas and training camp and when a a, a a superstar quarterback or a star quarterback, a former first round pick gets suspended for multiple games. Uh, it's going to dominate the headlines. And we'll also hit on some sleeper defenses. And, uh, well, maybe we'll talk about the, uh, the top 100 from NFL network, which is the second best top 100 behind Pete Prisco's. But first I'm curious because with this Jameis thing, you know, it, it seems like three games is going to be our minimum suspension here. It could end up being more depending on what the NFL investigation ultimately finds. But you, you have some unique experience in that you played on the Steelers in 2010 when Ben Roethlisberger was suspended for a personal conduct policy violation by Roger Goodell. Um, not, not out of nowhere per se, but I mean, same as, same as with Jameis and, and maybe even more so. And it was interesting because in 2010, this is pre-Twitter, you know, for the most part pre-Twitter and, you know, the internet was around clearly, but it wasn't, things weren't as intense as they are in 2018. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger dominated the headlines for his suspension, right? I mean, it was all anybody was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was the, 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 I guess the biggest story leading up into the season because Big Ben was already a Super Bowl winning quarterback, uh, two time champion to be exact. And, Many teams, many, I guess, experts analysis, you know, they felt like Big Ben gave us the only opportunity to win that ball game. And I see a lot of similarities with our team in 2010 and what you have here in Tampa with the 2018 team at the quarterback position because Big Ben, Jameis, Big Ben was already a franchise quarterback. He was already a, a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Jameis has that skill set to be an ideal franchise quarterback but outside of big ben on our 2010 team where we had an established experienced backup quarterback in charlie batch a guy that has he played a lot of football he started throughout his career and he embraced the backup role and they have that right now in tampa with ryan fitzpatrick who will be the starting quarterback and granted we've seen the highs and the lows with ryan fitzpatrick but he's played a lot of football and I think right now for Tampa, just being a part of this situation before my career in 2010, Tampa has to find a way to take pressure off of Ryan Fitzpatrick's plate. And that's what we did for Charlie Batch. Now, granted, our defense, 
I would say, and I'm being unbiased in making this statement, probably was ten times better than the current Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. <laughs> I think but, I think you're actually being a little. I think I think you're being unbiased. I would say it's probably like fifteen or twenty times better. I mean, you yeah. guys you guys were still rolling with the. I mean, I mean that was that was peak Steelers defense at that point, right? Oh, uh, no question. We were playing an all time high, but we understood knowing that Big Ben would miss the first four ball games. Well, we knew we needed to be lights out. We needed to be consistent in the first four ball games. The week one matchup against Matt Ryan and Atlanta Falcons, we only allowed nine points. Mm-hmm. Second week against Tennessee, we only allowed 11 points. Third week against Tampa, only allowed 13. And the fourth week, the final game that Big Ben will be uh, uh out of action was against the Baltimore Ravens. We lost, but we allowed 17 points that game. I mean, we played lights out for four ball games, and we were able to f- f- uh, finish that suspension three and one. And not to mention on the offensive st- side, we averaged 130 yards on the ground in all four ball games. So our recipe for success without Big Ben was play dominating defense, make sure we're smart, and run the football. Run the football, play good defense, and that allowed us to be 3-1. and one, And clearly everybody counted us uh, out in the first week, uh, first month of the season because they felt like the schedule we had, Will, was going to be too much to overcome without Big Ben. Yeah. And so this is, this is, I, I find this all, all this very fascinating. And this is kind of taking me back. This is actually the first year, 2010 was the first year I worked for CBS. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't, I'm not going to bring up the suit. That was the first Super Bowl I covered. It was an incredible Super Bowl. I know it didn't end the way <laughs> that you, that you guys wanted. Um, but, but you, but what's really interesting is when I, now that I sort of go back and think about this and, Brian, your memories of this are better than mine because you played on the team. But mm-hmm. you look at the te- the guy. First of all, the similarities are, are even deeper, I think, because y'all's team. You know, you you have the first four games. You start out three and one, but you had a week five bye, just like uh, the Buccaneers do. The Buccaneers have yeah. four games, and they, we don't know if James is going to miss three or miss four, whatever it's going to end up being, maybe even more. But you got four games, and then the bye. Two of them are road games, and when you look at the opponents. The, the Buccaneers have to play the Saints on the road in week one, the Eagles at home in week two, the Steelers at home in week three, and then at the Bears in week four. Those are really tough games. You guys had the, the Bucs who you, who you played against 10 and six. The Titans finished six and 10 with, under Jeff Fisher. The Falcons, the team that you talked about were 13 and three and ended up mm-hmm. being the, the, I think the number one seed in the NFC. And then the Ravens that year, um, the law, the only loss while Ben was gone. We're 12 and four and finished second in the division. I mean, that's a stacked group of teams that you played against, right? No question. I mean, outside of what Tennessee, the other three teams were clearly above 500. Yeah. And there's, and there's, I think that Tennessee team, I have to dig even deeper in that, but was Hainsworth still, no, Hainsworth was gone off that team, but that was still a, um, a Jim Schwartz led defense. I think, I mean, you had guys like Steven Tullock and, um, you know, I mean, Cortland Finnegan was on that team. Yeah. This is a, this is a good, this is a good defense. I, I, I wonder. Yeah, Kerry Collins, Chris Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, not a bad. This is not a bad Tennessee team. Is no, the point. So no, you, you guys no. went three and one against a really tough schedule without your two-time Super Bowl winning. And by the way, Brian McFadden also has two Super Bowl rings. Let's not forget about that either. Um, <laughs> you, you know, without your two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, I wonder. Do you think Tampa is capable of reproducing the same formula? In that, I mean, I mean, they don't have the same caliber of guys that we know of for sure but they did go out and they traded for jpp jason pierre paul mm-hmm. they signed vinnie curry in free agency they drafted vita va in, in the draft to pair with gerald mccoy they got a really good front four 
Levante David's there in, in the linebacking core. Quan Alexander as well. Um, all you know, uh, Ultron. No, excuse me, not Ultron. Vernon Hargraves. Yeah, um, Vernon players. Yeah. Brent Grimes. Yeah, I mean, like they got they got bodies there, and they, they added bodies. they added Ronald Jones in the draft as well. Any what, what chance do you give them of re- recreating that formula you guys used? See, it's, it's that's a tough question. It's a good question also, but it's tough. And here's why. Right now, we don't know what their identity will be, right? Mm-hmm. On the offensive side, they will have a rookie starting running back, potentially. Mm. It's safe to say Ronald Jones will be the week one starter. Should it's be. safe to say. We don't know exactly how he – how will he handle the workload in the backfield, especially without Jameis. And then defensively, I love the front four. You talked about Curry, McCoy, Vita, Vita Vea. JPP, that front should be able to dominate, and they need to dominate. I question the guys on the back end, especially at the safety position, because right now Chris Conti is the starter at the strong safety. Justin Evans is the starter at the free safety spot. I love Brent Grimes. He's still playing at a high level. Vernon Hargraves, this is a prove-me year for him. Mm -hmm. I think he needs to play real good football to earn his keep in being a part of this organization. But what is the identity? See, for us in Pittsburgh in 2010, you knew what you were going to get from our team, a team that played stout, tough, relentless defense, and a team that ran the football well. Will they be able to embrace and create an identity by week one? I don't know. I think they will have to because I do not want Ryan Fitzpatrick (laughs) throwing the ball more than 30 times a game in the first three weeks of the season because we've seen him win ball games out of the blue, right? That that odd year he had with the Jets where he kind of fooled everybody. And then we've seen him lose a lot of ball games with his arms also. And with that being said, I don't want him throwing the ball more than 30 times, but they have to find a way to run the football. And will they be able to do that with a rookie, potential rookie running back in Ronald Jones? We know they have Mike Evans. Uh, 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 Deshaun Jackson. They got to get some quality production out of OJ Howard. He has to show up big time. I mean, this was guy's a top pick a few years ago. He has to be able to really display outstanding athleticism and be consistent. But Will, we don't know what their identity is right now. Yeah, we really don't. And you're, and you're right. I think that, you know, one of the things when you look at what you guys were um, able to do, and I guess do actually you ended up with one of those games with Dennis Dixon playing, right? Did, yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Dennis Dixon I think played. It was with, Tennessee. Oh no, no, it was, it was Atlanta with Dennis Dixon. I, I, I just went through because I was well, the thing I was looking at, Bryant was I was like I was going to check Charlie Batch's passing attempts. I mean, he had forty nine in three games. Like if if you're passing, <laughs> if you're attempting forty nine passes in three games, that means that either your team that either means that. John Fox has decided to give up. You're in Seattle and you're down 12 nothing, and he's just punting um, on, on fourth down and, and six when, when you're down 10 nothing. Or your defense is playing great. You're pounding <laughs> the ball and, 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 and you're winning. I mean, that, right? Hey, like, hey Will, I, I went back while you were talking. I went back and I looked at 2010 against the Tennessee Titans. Guess how many passing yards we had as a team? Without looking, without okay, looking. Not, not, I haven't looked. I've got the I've got the box score, but I don't. It's not. It's not on my screen this right does, now. You need to hear this number. I want to hear your your number. I'm gonna guess something obscenely low. I want to guess like 75 yards. Wrong. <laughs> we had listeners. Are you ready for this? 2010 season 
against Tennessee Titans, a game we won. Oh we God. had 21 <laughs> net yards passing. 21. 21 combined from two different guys. Charlie Batch was, well, of course they got, you know, it was a few sacks, but Charlie Batch was 5 of 11, 25 yards. And then Dennis Dixon was, was 4 of 6, 18 yards. So net passing, we had 21 yards. That's incredible. The it's incredible. And, and it was a, yeah. and it was a 19, you had 19 points and 21 pa- net passing yards. I mean, Listen, like, try doing that in 2018. At that time, our defense, our, our, our mentality, Will and listeners, was if our offense give us 17, 16 to 17 points, we're winning. That's, a, that's how we felt. That was the Steeler way during those times. If you give us, Offensively, if you give us 16 to 17 points, that's enough for us to win a ball game. And like I said, remember I, I gave you guys the the the, uh, the 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 points that we allowed, and the only team that surpassed that uh, was the Baltimore Ravens. They had 17. Yep. Um, and we had 14. And that was you know it, it, divisional robbery. We know how that game goes. But that was our mentality, Will. And they have to find a way to embrace that in Tampa. I would, Defense win championships. I would love to tell you that, um, and, and here's, and here's the thing, cause you look at this 2010 Steelers team with you guys on, and I mean, look, I'm not, I mean, as an, as a, someone who feels old himself now, I mean, I think we're probably about the same. How old are you? What, 30? 36. Yeah. I'm 30, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 37. I turned 37 today for the listeners. Uh, mm-hmm. so we're, we're the same age. Um, you were having a little more success than I was at 29. That's okay. But you were, <laughs> you were, you were 29 on this team. And like, you look at the, the secondary on this team. Troy Palomalo, 29. Brian McFadden, 29. Ryan Clark, 31. Ike Taylor, 30. Um, you had Lamar Woodley at 26 at the linebacking group. James Harrison, 32. A spry 32 for James Harrison. Lawrence Timmons, 24. So most of you, you, like, that was such a veteran laden defense that had done it for so many years and y'all you're right you compare the secondaries and it's not even close i i think that is going to be the problem especially eight years later mm-hmm. for the tampa bay buccaneers because as good as their pass rush could be as good as that front four could be and really you could throw noah spence in there who could be a surprise i think coming you know in a, in a pass uh rush rotational situation they yeah, are going to about Noah Spence. They yeah, I like his game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's a you know, second-year player. They they are going to struggle a little bit, I think, covering on the back end. And when you talk about playing teams like the Saints, who love to wing, can wing it around, you know, if, if they need to. The Eagles, the Steelers, certainly. I mean, like who's covering Antonio Brown? Um, and then even the Bears, who I think will be better. I think it's going to be that's the biggest that's the biggest <laughs> difference. And you're right, that's the biggest difference between those two teams. The secondary for the Steelers back then in 2010, substantially better, more veterans. You guys knew factually that you like like you said, Brian, you could hold teams to 17 points or less. So the, the Buccaneers are just going to have to figure out a way. To run the ball effectively, I don't know if Ronald Jones is necessarily a feature back. I like him a lot, but I yeah. I, I don't think he's a 30-carry-a-game guy. And no. then they're just going to need to get a lot of pass rush. So if you're the Bucks, I, I don't think you're looking at 3-1. and one. I think 2-2 two and two is a slam dunk, <laughs> oh, grand no slam, home run victory. Hey, if the Bucks go 500 in their first four ball games, pop the champagne. Yep, absolutely. You have to celebrate. Yep. I, and, I, and you know what? The crazy part is that that's what they were saying with us. Best-case scenario – in the first four ball games, everybody was saying the Pittsburgh Steelers best case scenario they go two and two. Yep. But we use that as bulletin board material and we use it as motivation also. What is the um what's the you know, I mean, again, the veteran situation I think is different. How do you think 
the issues that Jameis is dealing with off the field and how does the locker room respond to that with, with what, with what Jameis had happen? I mean, you have to really be shocked hearing this because that incident happened in 2016, yeah. correct? Yeah. 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 Yep. I mean, so he, Jameis played two seasons. If you talk about 2016, 2017, I don't know if it was the, the well, regardless, he played two years since the incident and now he is being suspended right before training camp starts. But as a team, you have to understand and just accept it and don't allow this to define your season because it's only three ball games. And we're talking about if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan right now, you just we, we just talked about a, the, a Pittsburgh Steeler team that missed their starting quarterback for, for, for the first four ball games and went on to compete for a, a Super Bowl championship against a very, very difficult, difficult schedule. So you can still weather the storm. You have an experienced player behind Jameis and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I just need they need to find a way to run the football and all the newly acquired players on the defensive side. They need to earn their worth. JPP, this organization believe you still have a lot left in the tank. You have to provide some type of impact in the first month of the season. The same can be said for Curry. We know McCoy. He's a grown man. Vita, Vita Vea, outstanding Run, run stuffer, a guy that can be a big time difference maker. You look at the linebackers and Alexander and, and, and David. I just question the secondary, yeah. especially at the safety spots. And, and you're right. It was March 2016. So two full years of James playing in that. Still much more to come. I'm, I'm sure over the course of this offseason, um, and heading into training camp about Jameis Winston and as the NFL actually moves forward to resolve that. Let's talk about, you know, we talk about the Bucks potentially stepping up as a defensive unit. Let's talk about a team or no, in teams, maybe three to five, you can go eight to 10. I don't care. You can do as many as you want, Brian. We'll, we'll go back and forth on them, but what are some teams that you look at and we want to go outside the obvious? Cause I think the, the two big two, if I was picking two teams that are going to be great on defense in, in 2018, I think the Jaguars and the Vikings are, your top contenders for the number one defense in the NFL spot. But there's always going to be a couple of teams lingering around, a couple of teams who make a leap because of, you know, coordinator additions, uh, you know, player who they brought in, um, cohesion from, from a group that looked good last year. What's a team that you, that you eye that, that, that maybe is, you know, that is not the Vikings or not the Jaguars that could take a step forward and challenge to be the number one defense next year? I have three teams and okay. listeners. These three teams, trust me, they will come through big time. <laughs> I like it. For you, if you're a fantasy player, if you're trying to get your fantasy uh, uh, lineups in line, listen to me right now. My three surprise defensive units. For 2018, my number one, and I love this team. I love the sunshine in which they play under the Los Angeles Chargers. Yes. This team will be lights out on the defensive side and here's why they have arguably the two best duos as far as rushing the passers in the league and Joey Bosa Melvin Ingram now when you look at the draft being able to select Derwin James he will be the cam chancellor of that defense so now you got two guys in the front that can dominate a ball game at any given time They've shown that throughout their short, short professional career. Now you be a, you're able to add an outstanding difference maker in the secondary, playing alongside one of the best unsung heroes at the cornerback position in Casey Hayward. Not to mention, 
Jason Verrett is finally healthy. And he's in a prove me type of year. So you better believe he's going to put forth his best effort. You got Denzel Perriman. He's back healthy. That's the only question mark I have about this defense is the linebackers. But I think everybody else surrounding them, they're so good. They should be able to weather the storm and just do what's accordingly. So I like the Los Angeles Chargers, especially when you look at Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. Those two guys by themselves will can take over a ball game and they can win ball games for you. And if it wasn't for that ugly, ugly month, uh, the month of September mm. in 2017, they would have been in the playoffs. They would have mm. been the playoff team. Oh, That's I'm, my number one. I'm painfully aware. And I think that is, that is the best choice. And when I, when I, uh, when we were sort of going through the process of, of, uh, of picking uh, of this, I want to let you pick first. Cause I mean, anybody who listens to this podcast or follows me on Twitter, you follow me at Will Brinson. You can follow Brian at BMAC underscore sports talk. Um, Knows that I, I'm, I'm a huge Chargers honk and, and they're, they're the obvious choice. Derwin James should have been a top five pick. Um, mm-hmm. quarterback, you know, quarterback value excluded. Uh, you're right on Jason Brett, spot on. He's entering his fifth year option season, gonna make 8.5 million, but if he has a big year and stays healthy, he is going to get paid a ton of money. Um, it might even be a candidate for the franchise tag and an extension from Los Angeles and Casey Hayward, one of the rare. You don't see that in the NFL in 2018 with the salary cap booming. You don't see guys get signed in free agency and go on to become stars. And Casey Hayward has become just that. And, and you're right. The way that Derwin James fits in with uh, Gus Bradley's uh, defense, fantastic. They also added Justin Jones out of NC State who can fill the void while Corey Legit's dealing with a four-game suspension. Who else you got? My number two, the Houston Texans. Ooh. Now, this was a defensive team a few years ago. It was one of the best defensive units in the league. But I like the Houston Texans as my number two sleeper dominating defensive team because of and healthy, a healthy J.J. Watt, a healthy Whitney, Whitney Merciless. And we, I just talked about the, the duo the Chargers have. This is a heck of a duo also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, talk, you talk about the only thing that can stop these two guys from dominating is injuries. If they're healthy, they will have some type of impact. But, oh, by the way, if you want to take sub Whitney Mercer's out and put Jadavian Clowney in there, you can do that also. So you know what? Let me rephrase this. They're not a duo. They're a trio. <laughs> they have the best trio of pass rushers in the league. The only thing, like I said, can that can stop or slow these guys down is an injury. So when you look at those three guys, as far as rushing the passer, and not to mention they all play real good run defense for the Texans. You have to like that makeup. Then, Bernard McKinney just signed a big-time deal, and quiet as kept, he's been a hellraiser for this defense. I see why they decided to reward him with a nice payday, because this guy has been running sideline to sideline since day one. Mississippi State Bulldog, he came in with a fury, been playing lights out since day one. I like him. At the linebacker position in the middle, he's the guy that – he is the – I guess you can say he's the the the, the, the ultimate uh, quarterback for that defense. And then Zach Cunningham played real good football for them too. You know, when he was a second rounder a year for years from Vandy, yep. he's really been playing good football. But then when you transition to the secondary, signing Aaron Colvin from the Jacksonville Jaguars provides much-needed depth in the secondary. Now you're able to move Jonathan Joseph. Uh, he's still there starting, but Kareem Jackson, now he becomes more of a nickel dime type. And the same can be said for, for Kevin Johnson. And you have the honey badger, 
the Honey Badger. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big year. We talked about Jason uh, Verrett, right, Will? This is like yep. a contract year for the Honey Badger. It this is. defense is going to be, oh, it's going to be tough. And guess who's calling the plays? Back again. Romeo's back. Romeo's back. Romeo should never left. I know they took the title away from him. Uh, Verbal became the defensive-minded guy, the play caller. But remember, the last time that Romeo Cornell was calling plays, this defense got them to the playoffs with me and you playing quarterback, basically. <laughs> so that's my number two. I and like my number. Oh, no, no, I was gonna say one more thing, just on the Texans, really quickly. Yeah. Um, you talk about Jason Verrett and the Honey Badger, Tyra Matthew, doing in contract years. You know, who else is in a contract year, and secretly there haven't been a whole lot of buzz about it. To David Clowney, Clowney. Yes. he's getting twelve yes. million this year. Yeah. David Clowney was the the number one overall pick. Like he yeah. was, he was the guy, the destroyer of worlds, and he hadn't gotten paid yet. And he was, and he has been playing real good yes. defense. Yes. And another reason why I like the Texans, and I'm gonna move on to my third team. When you look at their division, is there any offenses that scare you in the AFC South? I like the Titans, but nobody scares you. The Jag- they're going to get the Jaguars twice with Blake Bortles, and, and they can play against the run. You pointed out correctly, and they're going to get the Colts, who have improved the offensive line a lot. But they're you know they're putting rookies on that on that offensive line, and Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith and Andrew Luck. We don't know anything we don't know. about Andrew Luck. Um, exactly. And the and and when we talk about the Titans. Let's not forget you got a little grasshopper uh sensei thing going on with, with Bill <laughs> O'Brien, Romeo Cornell, and Mike Vrabel there too. Exactly. I like that. I like that analogy. And my third team, for all you fantasy owners out there, and trust me, I won two fantasy leagues a year ago, so I kind of know what I'm talking about. Now, this is a sleeper team, but I love this team. The Monsters of the Midway, they're back. What? Chicago. Wow. Chicago. Quiet as kept will. This was a top 10 defense a year ago. Under the radar, they have, in my opinion, the best young defensive unit in the league. Young. I'm talking about youth. Now, Jacksonville, they're extremely young, but Jacksonville got a few quality, older, experienced pieces on that defense, especially in the front. But when you look at the Chicago Bears defense, youth is on all three phases, as far as the front, the second level, and the third level, the guys in the secondary, Akeem Hicks, big-time baller. Eddie Goldman, he's like the anchor of that defense, and he's from Florida State. You have to love him because of that. You got Bullard from Florida, Leonard Floyd. Wow. I mean, he's sneaky good. And the crazy part about Leonard Floyd, he's not strong. You know, he he's lengthy. But he finds a way to create pressure, and he's been consistently doing that. Roquan Smith, boy, he's a dog. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just saying that because he went to Georgia. (laughs) He is a dog. He is that tone setter. He's a guy that throws people out of the club. He's like the bouncer. You have to have that type of personality on your defense, and they have that in Roquan. And Aaron Lynch, if he can just stay disciplined on and off the football field, you're talking about a guy who's 6'6", 6'7", 260, outside linebacker in that 3-4 scheme. Big-time player, and I love the secondary. Prince of Mukamara, Kyle Fuller, Amos, Eddie Jackson, who had a big-time year a year ago as a rookie. Man, this Chicago Bears defense is legit. But their division is tough. Uh, a little bit tougher than the AFC South. <laughs> Much tougher, but I like it, man. I like, I like these young – they got some young, nice, talented players on that defense that love the game of football. I love them. I like I like that that is, that's a that's a really good sleeper pick and one that is I, I mean like you're right 
you know, they, one of the biggest signings this all season was bringing back Vic Fangio. I, mm. I, th- I think Roquan Smith, I think Bradley Chubb is the favorite to win defensive rookie of the year. But if I'm, if I'm putting money on defensive rookie of the year, and if, if anybody out there is trying to do that, you should be putting it on Roquan Smith, not Bradley Chubb, because Roquan Smith is a tackling machine. It would not be surprising at all if he, um, you know, cruised past a hundred tackles. I, I, it would be surprising <laughs> if he had less than a hundred tackles in, in, in his rookie season, the way that he moves sideline to sideline, his speed. And he, he pops dudes. I mean, you're right. Like he, he, he buries, he buries guys in the backfield on like swing passes and you don't want to be catching a screen pass when Roquan Smith is flying in there. Uh, I got a couple teams I'm going to throw out here to, I, I, the Bear, I'm impressed by the Bears. That is, that's further, it's, I think that's the furthest off the radar team, um, out of all the teams we're going to mention. One team I think that, that hadn't gotten a lot of love and I like a lot, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Now they lose, uh, Don Terry Poe to the Carolina mm-hmm. Panthers. That's a problem. And you bring in, uh, Dadrian Snot in the third round. So that's the one concern I have with the, with the Atlanta Falcons is on the interior of that defensive line. But Grady Jarrett still, I can't believe he fell to the freaking fifth round in 2015. He was too good at Clemson to do that. Of course, they have Vic Beasley there. Um, you know, you have Deion Jones who, who looks like he's just a modern guy that can fly all over the place. Um, you, you know, you have Keanu Neal, a thumper in the back end. Desmond Trufant should be coming back healthy. Uh, Robert Alford has really stepped up. I, I, you know, you worry a little bit about the pass rush. I know Pete Prisco is really high on Takaris, uh, Tack McKinley and he thinks he could have mm-hmm. a monster season. He and Vic Beasley and Grady Jarrett should give them enough up front with the bodies that they're rotating in. And I think the one thing, Bryant, that you've seen with this, Falcons defense is that it's so young. I mean, all these guys are basically from 2013 on. I mean, that's when Alfred and, and Trufant were drafted that they've gotten better and better as the season has gone along in each of the last two years. And it wouldn't surprise me if they came out of the gates firing this season under Dan Quinn, who, who has done a really good job building talent in Atlanta. I agree. I, I like their young stars. Um, losing Poe, I, I agree with you also. That was a big loss. Not yeah. to mention, you lost him to a divisional foe, the Carolina Panthers. It's brutal. The issue I have with Atlanta is consistency. Mm-hmm. I mean, one week, they look like a quality dominating unit. The next week, you think they're playing defense with their eyes closed. So they have to find a way to be consistent. And until they get that consistent stride, you don't know exactly what you will see from week to week with Atlanta Falcons defense, but they have the players to be able to really dominate. It's just a matter of being consistent. I, I agree. Um, the other team, this is sort of a, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit here because this team should be in the top 10, but they're not. And they, they added all these pieces and I, I'm curious how you think this will play out, but. The Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. they, you know, they go out and add Adamakin Sue. They need to get Aaron Donald signed. What are you waiting for? Please give Aaron Donald know. all the defense, all the money that you want. He's the reigning defensive player of the year after he held out. He's incredible. I agree. Um, he should be, he should be the first $20 million defensive player. That's a good call right there. And then, uh, you know, I wonder, Marcus Peters and Akeem Tlaib, and as a former defensive back, I'm curious what you think about this because these guys are coming in. All, you know, from different situations, Talib was in the no-fly zone out in Denver. Peters was with the Chiefs and got traded. This also, both guys got traded. They're going to a place Talib is familiar with in, in Wade Phillips because he played for him in Denver. And then Peters, I think, is a perfect fit for Wade Phillips' defense and, and what he likes to do. And the focal point being the cornerbacks. But is that too much volatility at the cornerback position with Talib and, and and Peters in terms of 
not just personalities, but the way that the style that they play, uh, or, or can it be successful? You know what? Initially, my first thought would be, I don't know how this will work because both players at times kind of do their own thing, right? Yeah. Love but to gamble. They love to gamble, especially Peters. I mean, Peters, he's <laughs> a big time gambler, but he's one of those poker players that he usually wins <laughs> more than he loses. But if he, if he loses, it's a big time six figure amount <laughs> when you talk about professional poker gamblers. But then I think about it, Will. The mastermind behind it all is the son of Bump, mm-hmm. Wade Phillips. And he is the one guy as far as ego, as far as personality, as far as knowledge and experience that can keep these guys and keep keep them, you know, under control. And he's he's done a he did a phenomenal job when he was there in Denver. First of all, Denver should have never let Wade Phillips go Agreed. in the first place. I don't care. He should have been a mainstay on that defense, regardless who was the, who the head coach would have been. But when Akeem Talib was there in Denver with Wade Phillips, he got the best out of him. And I think he would do the same thing with Akeem and the same can be said for Marcus Peters because with his knowledge, with his experience, whatever he says, you trust and you do it. My only issue I have with the Rams, their run defense. How will they stop the run? The linebackers. I mean, they lost their best linebacker, uh, Alec. Ogletree to the Giants, and granted, he had some issues playing that new 3-4 they're running now out in L.A., but outside of uh, uh Alec, now you got Mark Barron, who still have issues stopped, I mean, playing in his run defense, uh, a smaller guy, so that's my concern. Like, running the football, teams that will run the football against the Rams, I think that's their best recipe for success. Yeah, and, right. I, and I think the other thing, too, that you got to look at, you mentioned the linebackers. I mean, look, you and I could probably pick up some sacks. I mean, well, you certainly could because you're a former defensive player. But um, I could probably pick up some sacks coming off the edge when Brockers and Dominican Sue and, and Aaron Donald are, are eating up offensive linemen. But, I mean, let's be realistic here. Matt Longacre and Samson Abukum are, are their two best pass rushers from, from, a, from an edge perspective. And I think that, that, I think that there are going to be ways that teams, as hard as it will be to stop those guys in the interior, there are ways that teams can kind of scheme up an ability to slow down the pass rush from the Rams. And so, like, let's say, um, uh, I'm trying to, like a team that has a really good tight end, right? A really mm-hmm. good pass catching tight end who could also block, maybe like a Travis Kelsey type. Maybe the Chiefs are a good example here. You load yep. up, you load up the line, you protect Patrick Mahomes, and then you let, you know, Kelsey release and go up the seam. And, 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 you know, you've got, you've got your wide receivers and Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill drawing attention from these cornerbacks or, or maybe, like, if you're, if you move to leave to, to guard Kelsey, you know, then all of a sudden you leave Tyree Kill or, or Sammy Watkins wide open. I don't know. There's just, a, there's a game of chess here that I think can be advantageous for offenses because the, the pass rush sort of lacks some gas too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I think we know about Aaron Donald. You know, we know about Sue, uh, Brockers, outstanding front that they have but me personally if I'm an offensive play caller if I win first down we're going to be where we need to be and when I say winning first down listeners offensive terminology that basically meaning means gaining at least four yards on first down that's a win four to five yards that's a win defensively if we can hold them under four yards that's a win for us so if we're winning first down I mean now you're in a second and six situation where you can't really dictate what you will see from that offense. And the best way to do that, and also, too, 
the elephant in the room, Will, is that we've never seen Sue play in a 3-4 scheme. Mm. His entire professional career, he's always been a part of a 4-3 defensive unit. So how will he handle this adjustment? And we know from time to time, from time to time, Sue has been a football the personality he has as a football player, he tends to do what he wants to do sometimes. <laughs> you said that very nicely. He's very nice, very <laughs> diplomatic. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he, he's an outstanding player, but as far as skiing, sometimes he ventures off, off the yellow brick road. <laughs> and, and the thing too with this team is that when we talk about all these guys with big personalities and it's great it sound, when you put it together on paper, it sounds really nice, but you are, you know, like what if the Rams start out slow and the offense isn't playing well and the defense isn't stopping the run or rushing the passer and you have Indomitian Sue, Marcus Peters, and Aqib Talib who are having uh, in-depth conversations with you, with each other on the field. I mean, like that could go south. Like that's a lot of explosive personalities and that doesn't always necessarily mesh right out of the gate. So I think that's, yeah, one, yeah that's one of the things to worry about with the Rams too. And speaking as a former player, when you have so many new players mm-hmm. join your team in the off season, as far as, Big egos, big paydays, big personalities. The best way to establish chemistry without being on the football field is doing things together in the offseason. And it sounds a bit weird if you're a listener, but the reason why I say that, because you're learning the personalities that you will now work with and you're beginning to trust them. They're trusting you. See, in Pittsburgh, one of the reasons we were so good and we were so consistent we did not just have work relationships. And what I mean when I say work relationships, I didn't just talk to Troy when I saw him in the building. We had a relationship outside of the building. And we we gained and earned trust from each other. And then when we got on the football field, it was like playing with your brother. Like he knew me like the back of uh, his hand and this, vice versa for me. So when you talk about having newly pl- newly signed players, Peters, Akeem Tlaib, uh, Sue, I don't know if they actually been doing this, but let's get together every week. Once a week, we go to somebody's house, we play cards, we just, we just, we just, we just, we just fraternize. And that establishes great relationships because you just can't have a work relationship and expect for you to be successful when you're playing a team sport. And I think too, when you're talking about the defensive stuff and you talk about guys who are freelancers and guys who like to sort of do their own thing. And we mentioned Sue Tlaib and Marcus Peters, these guys, it's easier as a defensive unit. Like if I Taylor was going to break on a ball, you knew it. You know, if Troy Polamalu was sprinting into the box, right? I mean, like you guys all had that connection. You worked so well that you would know what he was doing. You could, you could make subtle gestures to each other and it would, and it would be obvious and you could communicate um, outside of the verbal realm, yes. right? You can't do that as first-year guys all coming together you masked can't. as one, especially with the shortened OTAs. Hey, Will, that's a great segue for something that I didn't intend on saying, but that's a great example because playing in Pittsburgh, we used to invert coverages in the game. Ooh. If Dick LeBeau, Dick LeBeau called a certain call, we would invert it and change it on the fly. And as long as everybody oh. was on the same page, he had no issue with that. I remember one time we were playing against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I don't know if it was 2008 or 2010. And Cleveland had, you remember Joe Jarevicius? Yeah, of course. Right? Penn yeah. State. Big time receiver. I mean, he was about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, out there. And we were in the red zone. And we were playing quarters. Quarters is a cover four uh, uh, coverage for listeners who might not know the terminology. 
And each secondary player, as far as the two corners and the two safeties, they're playing quarters of the field. So we're just dividing the field. Now, Joe was the number one receiver. He was on my side. Now, Troy was the safety that was inside of me. But Troy recognized the coverage, and they were basically, they were in King's formation. King's, for football terminology, is basically three receivers, one tight end, one back. And we were to the weak side, which is the side that had the tight end and the wide receiver. So Troy was playing on the tight end. But Troy recognized the, the formation, and he knew the tight end pretty much would not run anything with as far as being depth-wise five to six yards. He's pretty much going to run a drag route. So Troy, based on my alignment, I was lining up inside of Joe, and I was showing a cover two look. So I wanted to confuse the quarterback, and Troy was showing a half look. But what Troy told me, he was like, be Mac. And this was not pre-snap communication. This was there at the line of scrimmage. Troy said, be Mac, I'm going to invert. I'm going to take your seven. Seven, as far as route terminology, that's a corner route. Yeah. So when Troy said, be Mac, I'm taking your seven, I'm yelling at Troy, what? <laughs> no, that's my route. Troy said, B-Mac, I'm taking your seven. I said, Troy, if something go wrong, you better tell Coach LeBoy on the sideline because <laughs> he's going to be looking at me like, B-Mac, what are you doing? So instantly, because I was showing a cover two look, all I did was I stayed put when Joe came off the line of scrimmage. I was already, I was probably about six or seven yards, but I'm, I'm flat footed. Yeah. So now I'm going to rob anything short, knowing that Troy was going to take my corner route and he had quality body position that if Joe did not run a corner, if he ran a post, if he ran a dig, Troy was already in body position to make a big time play on the ball. Those are the communication, uh, 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 I guess, scenarios we had as far as inverting certain things. And that's why people that used to play against us, they said they never watched Troy on tape because he would make you think he's doing something that we've never seen before as far as defensive coverages that's awesome i mean and again i mean like you can't stress how tough it is you can't create that communication out of nowhere like it has to it has to develop over years of playing with each other and trust and 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 the fact that you guys would go off script of what the defensive coordinator would do and the fact that this multi-time hall of fame defensive coordinator is perfectly fine with you guys doing it because it it gives like there there's nothing you can study you, there's nothing they can study on, on film. There's a, no. you're, you're, you're looking, you're showing cover two and this Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame safety is, is just sprinting to this, this corner route corner to route. take it away. The, there's nothing, maybe he'll sprint, maybe he won't. There's nothing to study there. It's, it's, it's the opposite of a tendency. You know what, Will? For us, we used to always That's say awesome. the element of surprise is something no one can prepare for. You don't know. You can't prepare for what you don't know you're going to see. You don't know what you will see. And for us, I mean, you never knew, you never, you never knew what you would get from us from the secondary standpoint. I mean, we used to line up all, all four guys in the secondary, we used to line up at the same depth as far as eight yards off the line of scrimmage. And then eventually we rolled into our coverage three or four seconds before the play clock hits zero. How can you surprise, how, how can you prepare and know what to expect if you haven't seen that before? You I mean, you can't. It's a non-tendency. It's, it's it's just something that doesn't like exist in terms of film study. Yeah, and that's why I tell people all the time, and, and not being biased because I played the game of football, but football is the ultimate team sport. Yep. 
it's the ultimate team sport. When you look at basketball, you look at the NBA, you can put LeBron James on any other team. There's a good chance they will compete for a, ch- a finals championship. You can't do the same in football. You can't put Tom Brady on another team and say they automatically will win or compete for a Super Bowl. You can't because there's 11 guys on the field at the same time. They all have to be on the same page and they have to be consistent. That's why it's ho- that's why it's so hard to study football, even or to analyze football, even as an as a I think it certainly is an out, somebody who didn't play the game professionally, but even as a, you know, a former player, because there's so many unknowns to each play and there are so many moving parts to each play. Like if a guy misses his assignment on the offensive line, it can turn into an interception, but it's not because necessarily Tom Brady made a bad, you know, made a bad decision or made a bad throw. Like it could be that, you know, the guard misses an assignment and then the tackle is trying to cover. You know what I mean? Like there's just, there's so many different moving parts to it. Uh, we are, we are, God, we are, we, we got long all of a sudden. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give, that's fine because that was an awesome story. And you, by all means, anytime we're talking and you have a story like that, you tell that story. Um, I'm going to give one more team, actually Dick LeBeau's former team that I think is a deep sleeper. Mm-hmm. to be a top unit. The Tennessee Titans, they haven't been great, a great defensive team. They brought in Dean Pease to go with new coach. You mentioned Mike Vrabel before. <laughs> I like that signing. Yeah, I do too. And I, I like yeah. the, the Matt LaFleur. I love their coaching moves this <laughs> offseason. They only had two high, two really high draft picks in this class. Rashawn Evans, though, who's a thumping um, interior safety. They're going to this 3-4 type of defense. And then you, then you, ask, then you also add uh, Harold Landry, who can come off the edge if he's healthy out of Boston College. But I think what really intrigues me, Brian, about this defense is that they have now developed, like we talked about, a secondary that knows each other and a secondary that can work together. Logan Ryan, who played with Malcolm Butler in New England, both those guys came from the Patriots. They're with the Titans now. Adoree Jackson, who was a 2017 first-round pick, explosive Mm -hmm. in the return game, and I think a a guy who – would have been, if he'd stayed in college another year, a top five or top, top ten pick in this class. And then Kevin Byard, who, um, is a safety that Deion Sanders doesn't even know who he is, apparently, uh, based on, based on his tweets. But, but they also have Jonathan Cyprian in the back in there. I think they've got a lot of talent on that front seven. I mean, excuse me, on the, on the defensive backfield. And Brian Arakpo stayed healthy. Derek Morgan, a 2010 first round pick, still grinding out games there. Jarrell Casey remains underrated. If they can get some impact defense from those rookies, Rashawn Evans and Harold Landry, I think this can be a sneaky team in that Dean Pease defense. Yeah, I, I love Dean Pease. I mean, you look at the, the glory years as far as the last five, six, seven years with the Baltimore Ravens. He really was a big time play caller for them. Now being able to get that same Raven mentality there in Tennessee. How long will it take? But they do have nice pieces in place. Talked about Rashawn Evans. Roquan Smith is a big-time dog. Rashawn <laughs> Evans, he's a dog also. Yeah. They're basically like players. They love the game of football, and they have no uh, regard for their bodies when it comes to making contact. They're sideline the sideline type of players, and I think he will be a day-one starter, especially you know once he picks up uh, this scheme, this new scheme that everybody on their defensive side has to learn. Jarrell Casey, I mean, he's one of the, he's been one of the best interior D linemen. He's one of the most underrated dudes in football. Yeah. And the reason why he's underrated is because the market, they haven't really been consistent as far as winning ball games. But if you talk about just playing good football, being an impactful player, you have to throw, throw in his name as far as interior linemen and, yeah, this is a this is a talented talented team for me Tennessee wise, and in that division, like I said, you know, offensively, we don't know what uh, 
Deshaun Watson will have in store coming off his ACL injury. But their first four ball games of this season, they got Miami, Houston, Jacksonville, Philly. Hello. We will know what type of team the Titans are by 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 the month of October. This will be a playoff team or team that will just miss miss the cuss again. Yep. And interestingly, that's two good matchups against questionable offenses and then two matchups against quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks who are coming off ACL tears. All right, we got to get going. You've got some HQ work to do. You're in the office today. Um, happy, have future happy birthday to me or happy yeah, birthday happy to me. <laughs> send the tweets out and also he will like gifts if possible. I, I will take gifts from my family <laughs> or, or just friends or followers on Twitter. Follow him at BMAC underscore sports talk. Brian McFadden. Awesome talk today, buddy. Thanks for joining me. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me.